The Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it. You must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Munich Time Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts loves stick routes. It's the only route he really knows how to run himself. That's Lenny. I'm Munich Himes. Sad day for Lenny with uh, the firing of Chargers offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi. Sad day for those who love stick. Um, oh, gotcha. Dominic, thank you for not making fun of me. The reason I'm late today, well, I guess people who are listening to this don't know I'm late, is because while I was changing my clothes, I think I pulled both of my shoulder muscles at the same time. So let's talk about professional athletes and criticize them. <laughs> I mean, are, like, are, were you, I don't know, was it a, a frantic changing, yeah. like a backstage? Yeah, because like, uh, yeah, I just flew like in a, from Tampa. And... I feel like um, Beyonce is the only person I could think of that, like, could potentially have a changing injury because like i feel like performers have to change fast right backstage yeah and you could like slip or something you on the other hand we're just talking about football no excuse for you yeah it's it was it was ugly but i'm here i'm playing through it um yeah (laughs) so i was in tampa yesterday i was not at the bucks game i left and i watched the game from my hotel but it was I, i the vibe around the stadium there were a lot of Cowboys fans and I would say like they were confident, but I don't think any of them were appropriately confident given what we saw. And, and, and so we did picks right before, and this was one that I wavered on a lot. And then we did a tour NFL live. And by the end of it, I was like, what am I doing? Dallas is the better team. They've been the better team. We're all psyching ourselves out because of week 18 and Tom Brady, but like start from every part of this roster is should be better and they were yeah uh, i mean i think it was surprised that they just beat them as badly as they should have beaten them but yeah you're right what was happening was partially the tom brady effect and the other part is the cowboys effect that for the i mean when i was a kid the cowboys won almost all the time but since then they found every way to lose um important playoff games from that des fumble to Tony Romo dropping the the snap for the extra point. They were always messing up to them, running out of time last year with Dak trying to hustle the line of scrimmage. I think it's fair right. to have some reservations about going all in on the Cowboys. I felt confident and comfortable, though, more that the Bucks were going to be bad yeah. than the Cowboys were going to be really good, and both happened. Because at the beginning – sorry, again, before the game – we were talking about all of the things the Bucks could do to take advantage of the Cowboys' weaknesses on defense, but then at the end, I was like, "They're not going to do any of it." Like, what? What am I doing here? Right? Like, yeah. you know, it's. I, I will say, um, we talk about that side of the ball. I think that was probably predictable. I expected Todd Bowles' defense to put up more of a fight against, and I mean, they couldn't. That Dak seemingly had all day. The Cowboys' yeah. offensive line in their 30th iteration with Jason Peters yeah. that left, they looked dominant. Um, it felt like Kellen Moore completely dictated to the Cow- the Bucks. I thought, you know, his use of motion, different personnel groupings, different cons, everything seemed perfectly calibrated for what the Bucks did on defense. And then, of course, Dak Prescott had probably the best performance of his career at the best possible yeah. time. Yeah, I mean, if you combine the the fact that it's playoffs and Tom Brady's on the other side and he came off of a bad game and a bad 
stretch of games, I, it's hard to imagine a situation where Dak could have had a bigger performance, but now we're in the playoffs, so you got to do it again this week. Your point about the shifts in motions, I saw a lot of that early was interesting, and I think Kellen Moore certainly uh, deserves credit for the game planning, but like this to me is more about Dak than, than anybody because he seemed in total control, and it was such a, like a mental domination of the game and the uh, the Bucks. Also, I mean, I guess Kellen Moore deserves credit for the like no huddle nature of the game too. It felt like they were in no huddle, and it wasn't hurry up, but it was just no huddle. And we've talked about this when it, in reference to Tom Brady. I, I love that for quarterbacks, just because the ability to communicate on offense is so much more sophisticated because they do so many more complicated audibles and things. Uh, it's just easier for them to communicate a bunch of different uh, plays and the defense is going to be a lot more vanilla just because they're not accustomed to doing those type of uh, audibles and changes. And also like on top of it, the the price for not properly communicating uh, a play to everybody on offense is lower normally than the price for having an issue on defense. And defense, like if you have a linebacker who doesn't get it, that could be 30 yards or a touchdown. You have a, and now if you have somebody in the secondary who messes up the call, you're looking at a guaranteed touchdown. And for the offensive guys, it's normally not that big a price. I guess you could end up having a turnover, but like you could end up with a sack or something like that, but it's not normally not that big of a price. And and when you do the no huddle, like I mentioned, it limits the opportunities for disguise. It just makes everything, yeah. it tilts things in the offensive favor, in my view, particularly when you have a quarterback. I was just about that, to say, who has such yeah. command at the line of scrimmage. And then an mm-hmm. offense that's pretty damn multiple, right? With yeah. different players who can do different things. Stack's really good at finding matchups. And they got a lot of matchups, whether it was, you know, Schultz on a linebacker running up the sideline. Um, you know, I, I, I think, and then CeeDee Lamb, they got a ton of really nice matchups for him, too. Yeah. I, I, it was, yeah, I think it makes a ton of sense for Dak Prescott. We were, we were talking about this just now um, in the makeup room. It's funny because a big part of the reason why Dak had so many interceptions this year was his aggressiveness throwing over the middle of the field. And a lot of the interceptions weren't his fault. They were just, like, tipped, whatever. But some mm-hmm. of it just comes down to the fact that they're tight window throws. Last night, he was just as aggressive as I mean, he was ripping seam balls into the tightest of windows and the receivers caught them and it's just kind of funny how like sometimes it's just like okay well if they catch them everybody's praising you but really it's it's the same behavior you've displayed all season but that is who he is and I'm glad that he hasn't backed off of being aggressive throwing that ball because if he had I think this offense really would have suffered for it yeah, and, and the accuracy, I, I keep thinking back to that one against or two CD lamb I think it, they had a penalty it was like first and 20 and whew, talk about demoralizing. Yeah. <laughs> it was in the first half, too. It might have been the, the second quarter, maybe. Uh, and first and 20, and he rips a seam ball to C.D. Lamb that, like, no one is surprised that he's throwing it. The safety uh, kind of isn't anticipating it. It makes a break that should be able to break up the ball, but the placement of it is, is such that he would have to go through C.D. Lamb. And it's a pass that I think most receivers also drop in that situation just because of the physicality of it but it's a fine risk to take because you're like all right if I can put this in the right spot worst thing that happens is incompletion he puts in the right spot CD makes a great catch and it's just 
Yeah, when when you got it, you got it. I think we saw a lot of luck go the other way yeah, for a, yeah for um Dak over the past several weeks, but it went particularly that touchdown to Gallup where uh it's it's kind of like he's out of bounds, but it happens to hit Carlton Davis and he could catch like there those are the plays that have been going the other way uh for them and he made it. His receivers stepped up. I think that yeah. it's kind of how it's funny. We put so much on the quarterback. Yeah. When, again, a lot of the interceptions were his receivers letting him down. But in this yeah. game, not only was Dak nails, not only did he make crazy plays with his feet, which is going to be so important against San Francisco. I'll talk about that later in the week, obviously. But his mobility, his willingness to take off matters a lot. Um, but, yeah, the, the fact that Lamb, Schultz, Gallup, guys who had been, you know, not had had, had – Drops in pretty big moments all seemed to catch everything thrown their way was tremendous. I thought they looked better than they have in a long time running the ball with Pollard yeah. as mm-hmm. well. Um, Zeke and again, though, yeah, that didn't look so good. I think, and that's yeah. going to be again in the San Francisco game. You really Pollard, I think, especially. Sorry, we're getting ahead of myself, but like the mm-hmm. Niners in particular, where you, that so much of what you want to do has to be horizontal in the run game. I think Pollard will matter a lot, but it seems like with this offensive lineman combination. Um, you know, they, they found some really good blocking concepts. I feel like every pin-pull run, they obviously mm-hmm. the big one at the beginning, but there was a later one where they had Pollard and Zeke lined up in the backfield, yep. and then Zeke blocked. That was, I thought, pretty savvy. So it feels like that's improving at the right time. against. And I want to say this, a good Bucks defense. Not one of the best in the yeah. NFL, but it's not like this offensive performance was against scrubs. Like, And that's what makes it so impressive to me, the fact that they were so flawless against this defense is outrageous. Yeah, no, it's impressive. It's encouraging. Um, can they do it in back-to-back weeks against a defense that is great, not just good? Yeah. It's a lot to ask. I'm sorry. I don't mean to spin us all the way forward. Before we do that, special teams matters in the playoffs, too. Oh, my God. And so they are trying out everybody today. And the sad part is, I mean, for those who – didn't know, which I, if you're listening to this podcast, I suspect that you know that Brett Maher missed four extra points last night. Um, and he also had a really good season. So I know that that's my, what was so shocking yeah. about it. He was so good all year for them. My, yeah, my immediate reaction when a kicker misses a kick like that, just my experience in NFL is like kicker is not a position that, that they coach. It's not a position that gets a ton of respect. You make your kicks, you keep your job. You miss your kicks, you got to go. And maybe because Brett Maher had a good season, maybe they'll have a little bit more patience for him. But I'd be surprised because <laughs> it just it wasn't like he missed some tough 50 yarders. He missed four of the gimmies. And I mentioned this to you, I think, before. The, the Ravens are the only team that I know of when I was playing, certainly the only team that I ever played for, that had a committed kicking coach. That's all he did. He was on the staff. He coached kicking and he would show up when the kickers were there and work with the kickers. And this was pre pre um, Justin Tucker, but he's still there. I believe he's also like the mayor of a small town. But anyway, the point is when a kicker. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When a kicker starts missing or like, I don't know, because like we if if the quarterback's mechanics is off, somebody's going to say something to him before he goes into a game and starts throwing trash all around the field so it's just shocking to me that it's a 
it's a, a situation that means so much. And rather than try to coach it up, we just fire and hire a new kicker. I think part of the mystifying nature of it is it just seems so mental, too, though. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I feel like Yips was trending at one point. And that's the thing with Mara, where you're like, okay, well, maybe it was just a one-night thing. And it's like, are you willing to roll the dice on that? It was just a one-night thing. Um, but The thing about... You know what? I was reading... This is... Um, well, anyways, I, I'm sorry. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, maybe it's good, though, if they go for two a lot against San Francisco. Yeah, I wouldn't hate that idea. They need those the, thing that, the thing that I, I think about coach about bringing a coach in, or like it's too late now, but like having a coach on staff for a position like kicker is your point about it all being mental. I agree. But we need a story to tell ourselves. And I think that what would be really nice is when Brett missed that first kick, if he came to the sideline and whether it was true or false or whatever, Somebody was there's like, a coach oh, this is a that's like, thing that you did. this yeah. was the problem. Whereas yeah. actually he goes back out there and then misses it the same way. And then he starts adjusting himself. So like whether the thing is the problem or not, it's so nice to have somebody say, oh, that's an easy fix. You know what? You lift your head up too soon. <laughs> Whether it's true or false, he will go back out with a little bit more confidence and you can stem the tide. Whereas now it's like Mike McCarthy can waddle over to him and be like, hey, man, you got to focus. Oh, it was that mean waddle. I didn't mean that. I, I didn't mean that as a mean. I just have him doing that dance. That I know, I saw the dance. dance. Yeah. That's what, that's it. When I said his name, I saw him doing that and, and waddle jumped in my head. I, the, the dance jumped out to me because it looked like a dance I could actually do. Yeah, it's like, I, I'm I'm not in the interest of body shaming anybody, but that that dance was it was it was a waddly dance. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't. It's that's a great point having someone to just lie to kickers. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see what they do there. I did want to hit one thing, more thing with Dallas, which um, you know the defense. You know, I kind of hand waved the Bucks offense because they've been so gross, but. There is a world in which the Cowboys' defense, which has been the number one cover one team all year long, comes out, plays, does their thing, plays cover one, and Brady punishes them on the outside. Mike Evans gets digs with a double move. Um, I don't think it's likely because the Cowboys' pass rush was so dominant. Micah Parsons was like in Tom Brady's lap the entire game. But I do think it's, you know, worthy of praise that Dan Quinn, who has proven to be, like, pretty adaptive as a defensive coordinator, totally changed things up in this game. I mean, they the Cowboys never play quarters. They played I, I grabbed on 7% of snaps this year, which is 27th in the NFL. They cranked that up to 25% in this game. They played a fair amount of cover two as well. And they just said, yeah, we're going we're gonna to sit on, you know— we're going to sit on this stuff. We know that um, our pass rush can get home. We don't need to blitz. Uh, and we're just going to put a roof on it and force yeah. you guys to work underneath and, and tackle. And I combined with the way that Tom Brady has been playing, and I think uh, this is a point that I'm sure everyone knows by now is Tom Brady is, I mean, no one wants to get hit, but his play is being influenced by his desire to not get hit. The interception. Um, that I was yeah. just like, oh, he, he yeah, has was, zero interest in a human body yeah. contacting him right and now. And it was like, it was that for the 
from yeah from then on it was like that it was and he was just throwing balls away at least he was throwing them in the dirt from then on but he before anyone got near him and so like that's a hell of a game plan to go into this game is like look we're not going to give you big plays in man coverage you can beat you can get beat quick or quickly and that could give him an outlet in zone it takes a little bit more time to to beat someone and so like putting the more and more pressure on Tom Brady to hold onto the ball and that um, O-line to protect against your strength, which is Michael Parsons and them boys. And boy, were they giving trouble. Like, that's an excellent game plan. Dan Quinn versus Kyle Shanahan is going to be fun, though, given their history yeah. in particular. So I can't wait for that. I can't wait either. Um, okay, so we'll preview that game last week. One final thought on this game. I probably should have said at the beginning, we're going to hit all the games not as you know long, but I do, I do want to talk about all of them with you and ask you like a couple questions. Basically, the premise is I have a couple questions that I was like, I want to ask, ask Dominique while watching each one of these games. So that's how we're going to do it. Um, we're not going to do winners and woofs. But I guess the final question is about the Bucks' future and Brady. I don't really like speculating because I just don't know what motivates him at this point. Like, maybe he wants to stay close to home. Does he want to play on the best Super Bowl team? I have no idea. Uh, I will say... Unless the Bucks' offensive line can make some improvements, I have to think he's gone. Now, that said, Dominique, when you look around at some of the places, like, people throughout Vegas, I'm like, why would you want to play yeah. behind that offensive line with a bad defense? The Jets, I do think, would still, you'd still want to make some improvements out front. I, they get Makai Becton back, and some and Olivera Tucker would be back, so I think that offensive line would be better. But there isn't, like, a spot yep. somewhere in the NFL where I'm like, oh, that's a really good offensive line. He'll want to go there. And I'll say this. I don't think he can play well at this point in his career unless he's protected. Agreed. I mean, I think he would agree with that. Uh, he knew that. That's why he went to Tampa. And I think the protection extends to the protection that the defense will provide him. Um, what the Bucks had was so, like, such a rare situation where they truly had a quarterback away roster uh, from O-line to high talent on receivers. He brought more people with him to like a real deal championship level defense. And I don't think people forget it anymore because every time I get a chance, I remind them that that Super Bowl run they went on was like largely fueled by the defense destroying people. So Tom Brady's not stupid. So, uh, I, and I think saying you don't know what motivates him is fair. Not getting hit motivates him. Yes. I am confident saying that. Yeah. I can't, I can't see it. I mean, there, maybe there's some teams that are a couple moves away or have a high draft pick. There's some good linemen in the draft. And maybe there's a team that's a couple moves away from getting him a great offensive line. The best team, the most attractive team, I would think, is the New York Jets, given the strength of that defense, the talent of the young receivers, yeah. uh, also being on the East Coast. And uh, I mean, I don't know what New York means to him, if anything, but it's uh, it's a city that seems big enough for Tom Brady. Uh, so like that would be the best place if they can improve that offensive line. In my, in my view, I don't know where else they could well, make I it happen. I don't think it's impossible that he returns to the Bucks. I'll say that right now. I know if you like, it's just because it was so gross last night. You know, everyone's kind of saying it's over, but um, it's easier to stay. I also think that they, you know, when they do get back everyone on their offensive line, left tackle is still a situation. I suspect they're going to move on from Donovan Smith, who really struggled this year. 
still, you know, a good group of skill players. I feel like Godwin was never quite all the way healthy yeah. this year. They need a tight end. And then, you know, there's still talent on the defense. Uh, they'd have to do a lot of stuff with contracts and move things around, but I don't think it's you think, impossible. Uh, I'd be, I mean, he, he essentially forced out the previous coach. Uh, I oh, don't yeah. think that you can be very happy with the current coaching situation. Will he force out back-to-back coaches? So, like, that's a, a At least offensive ask. coordinator. I feel like that's yeah. probably the change that they'll make. I think Bulls will probably keep his job, but I'm, I'm not, not saying if, that. Not if, yeah, yeah, not if Tom wants him out. All right. My number one question for you coming out of ravens Bengals is, on a scale of 1 through 10, how nervous are you about the state of the Bengals' offensive line and what you saw from that offense after Jonah Williams went down? Seven? Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I they were very bad last year. Um, it's looking a lot like that. Um, they had a few injuries before they entered the playoffs and then or one major one before they entered the playoffs and then the Jonah Williams one was enormous in part because it compounds it and in part because Jonah Williams was taking a lot of pressure allowing uh, the help to go the other direction to the right side of the line that has been that up until that point had had more issues with injury and so uh, I think it really severely limits what they can do offensively it's uh it's re- it'll require a lot more yak short passes with yak rather than yeah. attacking downfield uh, or you can keep more people in to block which then obviously uh makes the team less threatening so yeah it's and they haven't run the ball well all year so oh they could not run the ball against baltimore it was, yeah and it's been a, a problem now for this latter part of the season so yeah it's they are very very uh compromised on offense at this point so i think it's interesting to compare it to last year because it feels like wow like ultimate time is a flat circle like you do all this to improve your offensive line and because of this like horrible cluster injuries you're right back where you started right watching joe burrow against baltimore felt like that i think there's two things that are different one that helps the Bengals and one that hurts them the thing that helps them is I think Joe Burrow has become much better at managing pressure this season. Um, even when the offensive line was playing better, you know, yeah. he takes fewer sacks. The ball is coming out quick. Um, and, you know, generally, like, he's making good decisions. The Ravens made that a little bit harder for them because of the stuff that they do, particularly on defense, that other defenses should try to approximate. But the good thing, I think, is this Joe Burrow is not last year's Joe Burrow. So that's what's good. What's bad is last year, defenses were still giving them easy stuff. You still had defenses, you know, playing cover one, giving those uh, go balls up the sideline. They were blitzing Joe Burrow. Now, defenses know better. And going forward, we'll talk about the Bills, you know, who are a very zone-heavy defense, obviously. But however far they advance in the playoffs, defenses are going to try to do something similar to what the Ravens did which is say, oh, okay, that ball's coming out quick. We're just gonna, you know, play quarters or cover two or whatever. We're gonna we're gonna sit on this and make you slowly matriculate your way up and down the field. And so it, the margin for error for Burrow is like non-existent now. Yeah, um, I would obviously I completely agree with you. The one thing that came to my mind when you were first saying that 
he's not the Joe Burrow last year was like, you're absolutely right. And that's good, I think. It's good now. <laughs> I mean, he needs, yeah. like, it's, it's, I mean, I it's guess the, unfortunate that he had, he ha- like, if he was still taking pressure the way he did last year, I would have no hope for this offense with yeah. what's happening with the offensive line. Um, He's going to have to turn into that Joe Burrow in important moments, I guess is the point that I was trying to make. Because he wasn't just holding on to the ball because he was stupid. Like, he's holding on to the ball because he refused to give up on plays. Yeah. And at some point, he's going to have to do that. Like, if they're going to win this game, there's going to be a couple of times where he's going to have to elude, which, man, in the, the, in this Ravens game, in the Ravens game before that, the, the um, previous week, he did some incredible magic in the pocket to keep the play alive. Oh, yeah. He's going to have to do that a few times. And that's a, uh, Knowing when, and that's the difference between the goods and the greats, is knowing when to do it and how to do it and effectively executing it. And that's like why Patrick Mahomes is on his own tier most of the time and uh, everyone else is trying to emulate. I think one thing that gives me a little bit of hope for him the next round is, so, you know, Joe Burrow is so good pre-snap and the Ravens present this very specific challenge for him because they're so good at changing the picture post-snap. Yeah. Bills kind of do what they do. Now, I will say in this last game, uh, we'll obviously get into this more in the preview, I did notice uh, Leslie Frazier using Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano, not exactly how the Ravens used their linebackers, but they were showing pressure, they were dropping out, they were presenting some different looks on defense that made me think, oh, maybe he's getting ready for this Bengals game because... You, every defense going forward should try to approximate something close to what the Ravens did, which isn't easier said than done, obviously, because they've been coached that way all season. Yeah, I, I like that idea. But um, I think the game plan in the playoffs gets more sophisticated, and you don't want to <laughs> outthink yourself. Yeah. Which, like, if you are accustomed to doing and that's why you, you kind of – I love uh, a defense that has been multiple all season, a defense that is suddenly trying to do stuff that they don't normally do. We're coming off um, the Cowboys having successfully accomplished that. It's a risk. That's well, all. And sticking with it is hard to do. That's a good transition to the other uh, defense that I want to talk to you about. And the number one question I have for you coming out of Giants Vikings. Were you shocked that Wink Martindale, King Blitz himself, pulled back smartly against the Minnesota Vikings, uh, blitzed, let's see, I have this, 20% of the time, second lowest of the season. Uh, They played, it's kind of a theme now, way more split safety coverage. Again, not their tendencies. Basically said, Kirk Cousins, feel free to dink and duck your way down the field and then of course they had a specific game plan for Jefferson but like Wink Martindale we always talk about like we're like you know is he ever like will this ever change I mean how surprised were you to see such a different game plan from New York (laughs) um I think it's probably cheating for me to say I'm not surprised because it is incredibly surprising but I'll tell you why it wasn't that surprising and you and I talked about this last week or the week before Wink been, Wink been faking it for a while now. <laughs> like, it gets counted as blitz yeah, in, right. in our next-gen stats because I think the next-gen stuff, like, does the tracking data. And if a linebacker rushes, they're like, this is a blitz. But he's been rushing linebackers 
but dropping D linemen out or dropping outside backers out. So like maybe only rushing four or, or rushing the down four only is unique for him. But only rushing four this season does not seem like it's out of character, at least for what I saw from the second half of the season is they've been doing uh, he's been less aggressive. Like you remember we was the Ravens and it was like, they had a ton of great coverage guys. He was like, Hey, it's cover zero. <laughs> they our, our guys are better than your guys. We're not yeah. going to give you time to think about it. He knows he can't do that with the group that he has here. Yeah. I mean, I watching them, I was struck by the game plan. And I was also struck by the fact that the group of guys has gotten a lot better as the season yeah. has gone on. I mean, that's, I think a big part of the reason why he's comfortable not blitzing is that front four. Ooh, Dexter. Um, Dexter Lawrence, I think I think Dak Prescott probably had the best performance of the weekend, but Dexter Lawrence might be number two for me. Like he completely yeah. took over to the very end, right? Yeah. Obviously forcing that pressure. But um God, he was so dominant. Uh it'll be an interesting one against that Eagles interior offensive line, you know. Uh yeah. but the way we'd be talking about Wink's game plan would be entirely different if Dexter Lawrence didn't have an exactly. out of body experience. But I, I was watching them, and I was like, man, like, these DBs, like, obviously they got Adoree Jackson back and Xavier McKinney, who I thought played really well in this game. Yeah. But I was like, they're not bad. Like, before the season, yeah. I thought this was the worst defense in the NFL. And maybe yeah. it's, I mean, so many, a lot of them have just played a lot now, played together. Right. And I also, just taking the other side of the ball, I also felt that way watching the Giants wide receivers. Um yeah. This is something, you know, we, we talked a little bit about. I, I think I mentioned I was really, like, I watched the last time these times these teams played, and I was like, damn, Isaiah Hodgins, like, he's pretty good. But watching them, Isaiah Hodgins, Richie James, also Darius Slayton, who was great outside of the drop, what occurred to me, Dominique, is not only are they underrated at getting separation, all of them, um, they're just a really good fit for what they want to do on offense. So the Giants don't face a ton of zone or man coverage, pardon me, because defenses are afraid of Danny Dimes taking off. Uh, and having receivers like that with like really good spatial awareness versus zone is more important than having like Kenny Galladay or whatever, like contested catch guys. Mm-hmm. And they were, I mean, they were just, I mean, some of this has to do with the Vikings defense, which is a travesty, but they were consistently getting extremely open and I don't know I was like oh maybe and then of course Daniel Jones you know was really really sharp targeting them so yeah I was impressed it's an uphill battle for people's for us to change our perception like yeah generally so I think um what you're doing is is probably fair it's like it feels like you've wiped some of the pre-existing feelings about these players and watch this game for what it was, but also you are putting in the Vikings tax. Yeah. Where it's like there is, I, I'm nervous about like getting a little too high on how good they are because I know how challenged the Vikings have been all year defensively. Not only is the Vikings defense terrible, they're also terrible in a specific way where like the Giants are primed to take advantage of that because the Giants just like, you know, the running, obviously, they can't. The running court, they struggled to stop yeah. Daniel Jones as a scrambler and a designed runner. Those, it felt like every crossing route was wide open. Every, I think I tweeted this: twenty of the twenty-three targets were versus off coverage to wide receivers. When when Daniel Jones um, 
booted and then hit Bellinger. I was like, how the hell do you not? They've been doing this all year. Like, what? What? What do I want? Like, this is the most predictable. Like, I, I just. So Ed Donatello has been fired in Minnesota. Yeah. Defense was really the problem this year for the Vikings. Yeah, that was that was um not unexpected. So good luck, Eddie. I felt bad for Kirk Cousins because I actually thought he was really good outside of the final play. Yeah, it's tough. Kirk Cousins is. He has so much of a, like, reservoir of of underachievement in some of these situations that nobody yeah. cares how good you are for the whole game. Everyone was sitting and watching that game, waiting for him to do the one thing that they could laugh at. And he did it exactly at the worst possible time. And it so. was so on brand. Yeah. Check down. All right, let's take a quick break and then uh, hit the other three games. With Caesars Sportsbook and Casino, every bet earns with Caesars Rewards. That means whether you win or lose, you're always earning towards perks like free stays at iconic Caesars properties, game tickets, dining, and more. And if you haven't started yet, here's a reminder. Your first bet is on Caesars up to $1,250. Download the app with promo code OMAHAFULL and place your first bet. If you win, congrats. If you don't, you'll get it all back as a free bet. Must be 21 or older, offer valid, and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 plus wager only. Must register with eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bet credit $1,250. Must be used within 14 days of receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. No when to stop before you start gambling problem arizona call 1-800-NEXT-STEP colorado wyoming kansas affiliated with kansas crossing casino call 1-800-522-4700 indiana call 1-800-9-WITH-IT iowa call 1-800-BETS-OFF louisiana call 1-877-770-STOP licensed through horseshoe Bossier city and harris new orleans michigan call 1-800-270-7117 illinois maryland new jersey tennessee virginia west virginia pennsylvania affiliated with harris philadelphia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537, or West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK, or text HOPE-NEW-YORK, 467-369. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. 
If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Show. M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. <sighs> Dolphins Bills. Okay. All season long, you've been saying, Josh Allen, you got to live with some of the YOLO because you get the greatness. And I've been there with you. However, this was my breaking point. <laughs> Watching this game, I was like, this is too much YOLO. You can't live with this much YOLO. Because you want a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's like uh, you want a little bit of danger in your life, but that was... And it wasn't the danger. It was the inefficiency of the offense. It really felt like Josh Allen was the quarterback of the double-digit underdog team, the way he was playing. <sighs> I guess so. Like, I get your point, <laughs> but that's not a world that we can live in. That's not a world that exists. People can change. No, they can't. I I think that they've been trying to, and they can't. So yeah, I, best case scenario, sometimes he has those games where he is willing to take what's being given to him. He hasn't had one of those games in a long time. And this is kind of who he is. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Like it's, it's, it's bad sometimes. And that's what happens. I don't, I have no other explanation because I can't climb into his head and I, I can't. It's just odd though, because there have been long stretches during his career where he doesn't play like this. Um, you sure about that? Yeah. We, we disagree about long. I think he's had long stretches where his numbers were great. I have a hard time remembering a game where he was conservative when he was conservative when he needed to be and high risk when he needed oh. to be. It kind of feels like the conservative is he rarely plays several games in a row where he's not making risky decisions. Ken Dorsey is his offensive coordinator. He used to be his quarterback's coach. So this does kind of fall on him. Like I feel like he's incurred probably too much blame because a lot of those Josh Allen Yolo balls there were guys open underneath (laughs) but ultimately like he does have to get him to play more within the structure of the offense because um it was really like not to I mean they you know they beat the the Dolphins gosh I don't even know where to begin there's a lot of reasons why but um I feel like that kind of offensive performance will not be sustainable. It's too much variance. I mean, particularly with the way that their defense has been playing. Yeah. I think it, it's like early in the season, they had Von Miller and they had two healthy um, first ring safeties and uh, their defense was just better. And so I think you can withstand some of that issue. Now, and it's it's a weird mental trick, I guess, that could happen is when people go down and you are getting worse, I could understand the quarterback being like, I got to do more. Right. But we're saying, hey, 
chill out, <laughs> do a little less, which doesn't yeah. really compute to. It, it's I, not Patrick Mahomes on the other side of the field where you have to score on every possession. I don't know. I don't know what he's what he's thinking. I, I know that he probably has never been celebrated more than he was after that playoff game that he lost. And ever since then, he's been trying to be that dude. And he is that dude sometimes, but you don't got to be that dude every Sunday or Saturday or Monday or Thursday. <laughs> I, there's not, like, too much for me to take from this for the Bills' defense because it was so yeah. many, like, short fields and silliness. Um I did think at some point they made the switch to Kyer Elam. This has been the ongoing drama of who's playing cornerback opposite Tredavious White, and he played really well, so hopefully that sticks in the next round. I thought uh, the linebackers were tremendous in this game. Tremaine Edmonds quietly has had an amazing season. Yeah, it's funny because I feel like I'm a longtime Matt Milano person, but weirdly he's finally gotten recognition, but I actually don't think it was his best season. I, do I sound like someone talking about a band like yeah. that I was onto <laughs> yeah. before everyone else? Oh, now everybody likes Matt Milano, but his best really album was like 10 years Tremaine ago. Tremaine Edmonds now. <laughs> yeah. Are you listening to this Tremaine Edmonds track? Um, just, I thought he was really good in coverage. So physical. Great I, in coverage. Yeah, and then they should, they, I think they're going to get Micah High back at some point. Yeah, so like if so. they're like a fully, form, fully armed battle station... You know, but later in the playoffs, that would really help. But yeah, that matters a lot. I mean, health helps on defense in particular because they, uh, you don't often get to choose the the battleground when you're on defense. Is the offense often gets to? I mean, they design the play, so they get to choose where they're going. And so limiting those weaknesses and what you do get to choose is like where the help is going to go and who yeah. you're going to take the pressure off. And limiting the places where you might want to send help, I think, helps everybody out. The question I have for you about the Dolphins is, do you think that they should move on from their defensive coordinator, Josh Boyer? There was a lot of frustration at the beginning of the game with his cover zero blitzes. People were, like, losing it because Josh Allen was punishing it. But it was kind of interesting, Dominique, because then after that, he really dialed back. But then whenever he blitzed, it seemed to work later in the game. I feel like he was in Josh Allen's head a little bit, but I don't know how much to put on him versus Josh Allen. I, I I think he was up against it with some of the issues in the secondary, but then you had young guys like um, that cornerback, Kehu, I forget his mm-hmm. last name, you know, get better as the year goes along. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's people in the middle of a playoff game on social media are not a good gauge, <laughs> you know? So to be fair, I, I haven't, like, broken down the season's worth of evidence uh, for the Dolphins to like feel strongly about whether they should keep them or move on from them. And I think one game or series of blitzes is not fair. I think it's fair to assume that you're coming into this game outmatched and you need high, high variance plays, which are going to put you at risk. And they ended up like creating a bunch of turnovers, scoring a defensive touchdown. It's hard to, for me to walk away from this game, even though, the, the what we thought was the strength of their team, the secondary hasn't really been the strength of their team. Like it's it's hard for me to pass some great big judgment about the uh, effectiveness of the defensive coordinator given what's happened this season. I felt a little bit bad that things ended so badly for Mike McDaniel with the clock stuff because oh. it was like. He sh- like he went in there, he went into Buffalo with a seventh round quarterback, and they almost won. Yeah. 
But then, you know, all anyone could talk about afterwards was him not getting the plays in. And I asked um, Ryan Bissell, who does stats for us, how if the Dolphins struggled with that this year, and he said they took the third longest, if any, NFL team between plays. And I, some of that is, is sounds like it's due to the nature of the offense and the complexity of the play calls. But to have that happen, you know, and the final one was thought it was a first down. It wasn't whatever, but it happened a few times during the game, and it was pretty hard to watch. I get it. I get the reasons why, but there were so many times. Yeah. And it's kind of inexcusable one time. Uh, it's definitely inexcusable multiple times. Um, they didn't change the clock for the playoffs. They, you guys <laughs> didn't, there's, you're not required to do all these um, shifts and motions. I, I just, I, I, I want to celebrate um, McDaniel for what he's accomplished this season and what he accomplished in this game, but there's no excuse for that. Like, I, I, I don't understand how you can be caught off guard every time. It's just yeah. it's confusing to me. I, I, yeah. Hopefully they'll get over it. He's obviously a smart man, talented yeah, man. Like, you have to be. I think part of the challenge is, like, he's a first-year play caller, too. Yeah. Which is hard. He's a first year right. play caller, first year head coach. There's a lot going on in your head in his first playoff game with a seventh round quarterback. So that is plenty of excuse for him to work with. However, you once you call the play, you need to be thinking about potential outcomes of the play and what you're going to call the next time. And I guess also you're re you're watching what's happening, so it's a lot to do. So I, I, maybe he needs to. Um, divide up these these responsibilities. It was also when, after the game when he was talking about it. It was hard to take him seriously because he's wearing that tie dye beanie. I'm just so sad in the tie dye beanie, which I felt like was not the right territorial choice for your playoff debut. Honestly, two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, Chargers-Jaguars, obviously incredibly wild game. Uh, I want to hit the Jaguar side of it. What impressed you the most about their comeback in the second half? I mean, I think the 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 mentality to enter the second half like that with a young team is incredibly impressive, even though the first half was so rough. Uh, that could get out of hand quickly. Um, I think from a talent standpoint, it's hard to talk about anybody other than uh, – the quarterback like Trevor Lawrence made some throws in there was really impressive defense I, I, there was one play that I thought was really pivotal was when the 
it was first and 10, so it doesn't feel like a really pivotal play, but the uh, Chargers were trying to stem the tide, uh, and they dropped back and Max protected. I think kept seven guys in to protect, to give uh, Herbert time, and they only ran a three-man route. And uh, I think it was Fadakasi got the first pressure, and mm. um, Robertson Harris ended up with the sack. Right. And that was the play that I was like, all right, we're done here. This is going the other yeah. way. Yeah. And it was it was a first down and it ended that series. And it was like this because they were like, uh, you could you could feel it right there where the Chargers were like, all right, enough of this. <laughs> and the yeah. Jaguars like, nah, actually, some more of this. <laughs> I, want, I want to talk about the Jags offense in a second. But the thing I, that just struck me about the defense and really has for a while now is they got some dudes on that defensive line. And it's yeah. not just Josh. Josh Allen was incredible. He's, he's been so good the second part of the season. But you mentioned, like, Padukasi, Roy Robertson-Harris was, like, every, I feel like they have, they're not like the Niners because I don't think, like, Josh Allen's not Nick Bosa and, they, you know, they don't have an arm step. But I do feel like they are similar to them in every game, like a different pass rusher on that defensive line yeah. makes an impact. Arden Key was, of course that guy for the Niners is now that guy for them this year. Like every game he's so disruptive when they move him inside. Um, and there's so multiple, like, you know, Walker and Allen, sometimes they're dropping into coverage. There's, they're really good at hunting for the weak link on an offensive line. Chargers have a lot of them, but yeah, I was, I watching them. I was thinking like, okay, like what we'll talk about next week in in a minute, but I, that's, Right now, this this is one of the best, most fun defensive lines to watch in the NFL yeah. when things are like on fire for them. Yeah, I like to go back and, and look at the games after they're over and just like look for those plays that are pivotal and we're going to forget. And that was the one that jumped out to me. It's like this is yeah. when it feels like this. Oh no, we're we're actually going to control the line of scrim line of scrimmage. And you, you don't really have a choice. You, you, we're going to get this done. And you're right. Yeah, Josh Josh Allen, he, I think they tried to block with a tight end on that play that he yeah. just drove into the backfield. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're good. Nice. They're good up front, and that takes pressure off other guys in the back end. And Herbert had time in the first half, and, yeah. and they really, like, turned it up. I mean, it was like, yes, on both sides of the ball, just, like, massive – I mean, with with the offense, it was adjustments, and this is where like the Peterson Staley thing was so fascinating. Because in the first half, I thought Peterson did a lot of like he he. I thought the Chargers' defensive game plan was really smart, and then in the second half, um, you know, Doug like he really he's just so good at finding ways to make life e- easier for Trevor Lawrence. Like yeah. they come out, and he's like, "All right, like you've had problems throwing over the middle of the field." We're going to just give you easy completions to the outside. We're going to make those Chargers DBs who have been so sticky in coverage. Let's make them tackle in space. And then let's use ETN and run off tackle where the, the Chargers can't defend. And then as like the game went along, you know, Lawrence's throws got a little bit further downfield. Um, and you could see him like gaining confidence as... The game went on to the point where, like, I actually on every drive kind of like expected them to move the ball up and downfield with ease. It is one of those games, though, where like, and this is always the case with like a crazy comeback like this. There are so many little things that explain it. 
You know what yeah. I mean? Like little things like um, Michael Davis, who's been so good for them, going out with an injury. Jocer Taylor giving out completions and uh, penalties. DeAndre Carter getting hurt. Michael Bandy comes in at wide receiver and messes up on a couple of plays. And it's just like all these like little things lead to like a tsunami of suck and suddenly you're, you're blown a 27-point lead. I, I, I would want to – I do want to touch on the um, – Doug Peterson point that you're making is he's a backup quarterback when he played in the NFL. And I, I I think the further you get away from the game as a player, the less you can think like a player, but it feels like the way you were explaining the way he manages. Yeah. Uh, Trevor Lawrence really feels like how a backup quarterback would want to be managed. It's like, mm. okay, let's chill out a little bit. Yeah. Let me get some of this. Let me get some of that. And like, he can see and feel those things, which is a huge value add. Yeah. Also like freaking Lawrence, man. I like the mentality to have all of that go wrong, come back and be so unflappable is he's that dude. Um, okay. The charger side. Uh, yeah. Um, looks like Brandon Staley has not been fired. Good. People hate Brandon Staley. I think oh, it's just. Man. I think it's like an. It's 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 an. It's they don't like him because he's a nerd or he presents as a nerd. I really think that's a lot of it. Well, he's and un-nerdy. I think the fourth down thing last yeah. year really turned yeah. people against him. Yeah, I, I think you're right. The fourth down thing turned people against him, and there are people who are rooting against him. I think that it. There's plenty of fair criticism of him. He's not a perfect coach. I guess my thing is like the the last two really embarrassing situations was getting your receiver hurt on a relevant game. That terrible. Then yeah. allowing this comeback, I don't know how much you can like directly lay at his feet, but he deserves some responsibility. However, it does feel like he's getting better and I think that he probably got the job too soon. Uh but he's getting better in the job and he shows promise i I like the idea of sticking with him addressing their issues with the offensive uh design addressing their roster shortcomings and staying with them and the the big argument for me the only argument that i feel like is like really salient for moving on from him is something that we don't know and so it's how the guys in the locker room actually feel about him if they were yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, I actually read a lot of stories this year where, like, the players have been defending yeah. him more, which made me right. – I, yeah. I wondered about that, too. And that's the only thing is, like, when a collapse like this happens for a coach that the guys are against already or, like, on the fence about, yeah, I get it. You move on from that guy because it's hard to win him back. But when the guys are supportive of him and he's showing that he's getting – that he's improving, he's obviously a smart – person like blowing it up for sean payton cool blowing it up for i don't know not okay yeah i guess it's i don't think he's above reproach and there were certain things this season that i didn't like i think the not just the mike williams thing but i remember when herbert got hurt and he was still playing at points i was like what are we doing here man like why is he in this game so i felt like his approach to injuries and then of course he's the head coach so the offense, which we've been critical of all year, that's under his purview. Yeah. You, you know, so he deserves criticism for that. It's just funny. It's, it's it's just all too predictable that coming off of a game 
where he's arguably too conservative. Yeah. And then the coach on the other sideline is extremely aggressive, goes for, you know, two, down four, does all the things the nerds love. I can't even tell you how much, how, like, I've seen so many critiques. I'm not trying, this isn't even like a yeah. straw man. I've seen it where people are like, well, analytics guy, you know? And it's like, no, you, he, 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 you're clinging to your priors and criticizing yeah. for something that he doesn't even do anymore. Doug P also is the OG analytics guy. Yeah, he is. But he didn't wear it on his sleeve, so people don't hate him for it. And he also, like, played in NFL, which I think matters. Uh, I I think a lot of the animus for for Staley, I think, comes from football guys. (laughs) And, like, guys who coached and guys who played and, and, uh, and it's not just football guys, but it's fair of everyone. Or it's it's true of everyone that like we decide who a character is and that's the character, yeah, right. <laughs> and and so like that's, that's who he is. We're not gonna we're not gonna update our opinions on him until he gives us something to point to. So like if he wins a big playoff game, then we'll be like, hey, he did it. But like recognizing, I think this is the hard one of the hardest things about this job is recognizing when you were wrong and also recognizing the good when things go poorly and recognizing the bad when things are going well for a team. And he's got some big, bad blemishes, but I I do think he's getting better. Uh, I, I don't like the conservativeness, but like, yeah, he's he's getting better as a coach in my view. And he's I, really good on defense. Like they really are good on defense. They, and think, that's, yeah. that's hugely valuable. Yeah, I well, you know, we'll see how things go. It's just, you know, I'm I'm excited to see who they hire as the offensive coordinator. Uh, Mort reported that Frank Reich is in the mix, which would I would really I think that'd be a really cool, yeah. is it that'd be a, like a big win for them. So, um, okay, the last game, Seahawks Niners. My question for you is, is this Niners group of skill players stoppable? Because <laughs> when I was watching them, I. I we always make things about quarterbacks, and it's funny. Mm-hmm. Like Brock Purdy's best play was one where Brandon Ayuk dropped the ball. Dropped it, and he, yeah. You know, he, that's why he, where he's different from Jimmy Garoppolo. But it's crazy to me. Like I don't understand how you can watch that game and and have your takeaway be Brock Purdy anything. My takeaway <laughs> is, holy crap, Debo, Christian McCaffrey, Jennings, Kittle. Oh, what did I say? Jennings before Kittle. Anyways, Ayuk. These guys are unbelievable. They all they, and they do everything, so you never know what the hell anyone is doing on any play. They're so multiple. They're so talented. They're so hard to tackle. Every angle is a bad angle. It's it's truly basketball on grass. Yeah, you don't know what they're doing on any play. You don't know where they're lining up on any play. Um, I think to take a little air out of this Forty um, ers rocket ship. I don't know if you have air as a rocket ship. 49ers balloon. I don't know what we're calling it, but to pour a little cold water on it. I think that part of what comes with being, and this, I say this about, um, uh, what's that guy that was the Swiss Army knife for the Saints? Anyway. Taysom Hill? <laughs> yeah. I say this about Taysom Hill is that like being a Swiss Army knife means you're not great at any one thing. And that's the best argument I can say is for a guy like Debo Samuel, he's incredible run after the catch. He's not a great pure wide receiver. 
So like he, the separation that is being created and like, I'm only doing this because it's not fun for you to say that they're amazing and then me to come on and say, you know what? I think they're more amazing than amazing than you think they're amazing. I think that if you have, if you, if you're going into this game as a Cowboys fan with any hope, I think that you have to force them to do the things that they're not good at. And they're still better. And by them, I mean individuals. They're still better at these things than most people. But you want to make Debo a receiver that needs to create separation and get open. You don't want him to be a running back. You don't want him to be a short a short catch guy. You don't want him to be a screen guy. You want him to have to get downfield and get away from sticky man coverage. Uh, you want Brandon Ayuk to have to be a true number one. You want like you want to force him into into that situation. Uh, as far as Christian McCaffrey is concerned, he is someone who actually is really good at a lot of things. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's not the Swiss he's... Army knife. Like he could be a a starting NFL slot receiver, and he also is a top of the league running back. So that's the challenging part. He's the guy in a world where running backs don't matter. He's the guy that I will, if you have to rank them on who I'm worried about as a defensive uh, coordinator, I'm starting with Christian at the top. He is like if Kyle Shanahan built a player in a lab oh, for his oh, offense. Like wow. just even he even looks like he was made in a lab. He does. Like, it's the haircut. Face, it's the haircut. You know? He looks like yeah, like He's, a doll he, that was kind of like made out of like a Rocky Horror Picture Show kind of thing. He looks like um, he's uh, like a eighteen year old private in the military. <laughs> like he just got there, a drill sergeant spitting on him while he yells in his face, and he's unfazed by it. No, actually, he's a little more refined than that. He's probably in his third year or so of service. He's got a marine yeah. feel to him. I it's cool that we get to see him in this offense, unless you're playing yeah. them and it's miserable. Yeah. But um, I mean that's the other thing about this last game. Like, holy Kyle Shanahan, dude! Like the way he sequences plays, the way he was using the Seahawks tendencies against each of them. Uh, if you've paused, freezed on just about every play, at least two guys are open. <laughs> like it's I yeah. I um. Quote tweeted, I think it was Dan Pizzuta. It was near the end of the game. He was laughing because uh, Brock Purdy had a CPOE that was like zero. Even though like the... the it, it, okay, let me put that in perspective. Yeah. So completion percentage over expectation. It is not a catch-all to measure quarterback performance. What it tells you is, is the quarterback exceeding the opportunities available to him because of scheme and defense and uh, you know whether players are open and all of that. Basically, like, is he completing more passes than he should be? Um, and like, you know, you have quarterbacks who are in really good schemes like Patrick Mahomes, whose CPOEs are not that high as a result. It's not it's not a stand in for quality. However, it ca- tells you a lot about play calling. The fact that Brock Purdy put out like video game stats. I mean, they were averaging like it felt like 12 yards of play. I don't have it in front of me, but it felt like that. Those stats and then that his CPOE was just flat. Yeah, is pure uncut Shanahan. Yeah, and also the fact that it was just flat is pure uncut IU drops. Yeah. <laughs> it's that that one drop because that was that had to be. The, that 
that would have that would have changed the way you talk about him. Had I you caught that one pass because I don't know what that was, but it was definitely a low completion percentage, and he made some magic happen right there, which has to be encouraging. Um, yeah, I, I had so much to say while you're talking, and I, it's. This is such an exciting game to talk about, an exciting team to talk about. But I forgot damn near all of it. But, oh, I remember this one point. The one thing that, like, uh, a thing that I stumbled on on my own podcast, which you all should rate and review and Dominique listen Foxworth to. show, check it yeah, out. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Is the one of the limits on this offense, and, and I, like, likened them to, speaking of a basketball team, the um, – Golden State Warriors. And what we saw from the Warriors in the NBA playoffs last season is just a level of like institutional memory, I guess, is the the word that I would use to describe it is like having been through so many different attempts at at people trying to stop them, they've seen it all already. And Mm. so the value of Kyle Shanahan is that he has an answer for everything. But when the reason why he went to go get, uh, he traded to get Trey Lance is sometimes you don't have an answer in game and you need a, a, a talent to overcome that. I think that also when you've been through a bunch of different like schemes to stop you. And again, the Warriors were like, Oh, we saw this three years ago in the conference finals. Let's run this play. Let's do this thing. Let's address it this way. We know how to do that. It, it's not an install. It's not an adjustment. It's a reminder. And for them having Purdy at quarterback, that's the one drawback. Cause I do think Purdy is better than Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy he's Garoppolo. shown it so far. I don't know, um, if he's better than Trey Lance or not. We haven't seen anything out of Trey Lance and whatever his athleticism and skill level could bring to this. But I do know that seventh round rookie is going to have a hard time, uh, um, adjusting in game. Now, maybe Kyle Shanahan's a great teacher and maybe it won't, it'll be so simple that he doesn't have to, but you can't do it in game. You're going to have to do it at halftime, <laughs> you know, and it's different than being like, all right. Yeah. We ran a series, come to the sideline. This is what they're doing. Oh, that's just like what the Bears did to us four years ago. Do this. And that's uh, that's a challenge. And even if you are not, even if you, you're not at the same organization, having a veteran quarterback is like, there's some shorthand to it. It's like, all right, you know, like we all know simple things. Like if you get a bunch of, if you get a team that like majors in man coverage, which most teams should against the 49ers. Then you're like, all right, so on third and short, we're going to run some sort of crossing route. We got stacks. We got picks. Like, think about that for more complicated schemes. They have solutions for that, too, that Brock Purdy, I doubt, yeah. has picked up yet. I think that's the give and take with Purdy, which is, like, he doesn't have the experience or the arm talent for those, like, three or four times a game when he has to transcend the scheme. But right. he does have the escapability. And I think that's, you know, it doesn't even have to be that many plays a game, but there's there were in the Seattle game probably like three, honestly, where his ability to extend, he has a really good feel for um, pressure and make plays like that. It might just be those three plays. That's all they need um, so, because their the offense is so hard to defend. 
Yeah. And I mean, that draws us back to the, to the Josh Allen conversation is in the, um, the Joe Burrow conversation is about knowing when you need to make those plays because right now, again, you're trusting a rookie yeah. seventh round pick to, to like, I, I almost feel like if I were the coach in that situation, I'd be like, look, when you're in trouble, get rid of it. Don't try to do anything. Cause you're going to make yeah. it worse. <laughs> because you Which don't... he's pretty good at, honestly. Like yeah. there were a couple times where like his reads weren't there, and he was like, "All right, don't throw it away, you know, whatever." And I was like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. So yeah, he's I mean, like it, going he, into he, every game like somebody with all the answers on a test, right? So it's as a defense, the question is, how do you at least muck it up a little bit? The the first thing you do is take away the deep overs because yeah. Lord. The Seahawks just seemed like it was a surprise every time well, they did it, just because they did it with a different person from a different formation. It was like, hey, oh, this is brand new. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> How many times did they run it against them? Um, well, I actually think the game was actually kind of helpful for the big question of the Seahawks offense, which is Geno or move on. Mm-hmm. Because, one, I thought Geno Smith played good until the fumble, frankly, mm-hmm. and then things turned. And, you know, but. Also, there's just so many issues on this Seahawks defense that there's a real opportunity there for them to get better on that side of the ball, both in the draft and potentially free agency. Pete Carroll afterwards, too, was pretty candid. Like, somebody asked him, what's the difference between you and the Niners? And he was like, talent. (laughs) I'm not phrasing it exactly, but he was like, they got dogs in that front seven and we don't, is paraphrasing. And that is, you know, mission number one. So I would definitely, I mean... Obviously, you don't want to do like a crazy deal, but I would really try to keep Geno Smith if I was the Seahawks. Yeah, I'm sure they would, and I don't, I don't suspect that Geno Smith's market is going to be crazy high, um, particularly because the one team that is probably most quarterback hungry is the Jets, and I don't think Geno going back there. Everything old is new again. All right, Dominique, check out the Dominique Foxworth show wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for recapping these games with me and answering my questions. No problem. We never do a bad podcast. They're always amazing. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.